slideshow, that's perfect. Should be, hopefully. A bit of luck. We need to put it back again, sorry, go on. Right. Okay. We'll go back. There we go. Right, perfect. Okay, I think it's, um, it's fair to say um, I found preparing for this um, service is quite difficult. Um, it's very personally challenging for me. Um, been discouraged, been a bit, probably not quite depressed, but um, certainly felt guilty and um, felt a bit much at times. But thankfully, um, the more that I've learned um, and looked into and understood the text, I started to actually be really encouraged. And uh, while clearly I've got lots to learn as a leader of the church, um, which is what this passage is about. Um, I've been very much reminded of where my confidence should be. I pray that as we look at these verses today, we're going to uh, together learn what it, uh, the Lord is teaching us about leaders okay, and about our church, particularly, as Steve's already mentioned, as we're looking to potentially have another full-time leader in the not too, too distant future. So just before we dig into this, let's just bow our heads again and pray. That's with God's help. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, um, we thank you for the whole truth that is contained within your word, and we just pray this morning that you've helped me to explain clearly these verses, and I pray that you would help all of us here to listen to your voice, um, and to just have our eyes opened uh, by your word, and to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Got some slides. Um, hopefully, they'll help us a little bit in places. But do have your Bibles open. Um, it's page. If you close your Bible, it's page 785. Okay, and you can check out what, you, what I'm saying for yourselves as you go through it. Uh, just before we dig into the detail of the text and go into a little bit of it, okay, it's important that we understand the setting. Um, so we've got a map here. This map. I didn't draw it. Um, but verse 16 tells us that Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Um, and Jerusalem's in the bottom right of this here, okay? If you follow the arrows in the black line, that is Paul's. He was on a missionary journey, okay? So we're sort of digging into one little part of Paul's missionary journey. And um, it says that he decided not to stop in Ephesus. So if you can see Ephesus in the middle of the screen, and he decided not to stop there on his way back to Jerusalem. Um, and he wanted to avoid spending time in Asia, which is basically Turkey, okay? Um, and verse 31 tells us that he had previously spent three years with the Ephesians, okay? Um, so as the Christian there, he knows them fairly well. But rather than stopping at Ephesus, um, Paul docks his boat in a little place called, well, I say a little place, I don't know, it might have been a big place, Miletus, okay? So it's just below Ephesus. And um, it says in verse 17 that Paul sends for the elders of the Ephesian church to come and meet him. Um, 
And before we go any further, I want to just notice, because a couple of things I just want to clear up so they don't keep going back over them. There's a couple of words used in the text. Um, see this word elders, it's in verse uh, 17. But in verse uh, 28, um, Paul is speaking to them and he says, the Holy Spirit, so he's speaking to these people called elders, and he says to them, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he goes on to say, be shepherds. So we have Paul referring to this group of men, they were men, okay, firstly it's elders, then overseers, and finally shepherds. And elsewhere in the Bible, and within other church denominations, you hear the titles such as pastors, presbyters, ministers, bishops. And for today, we don't need to look at the original meaning of each of these titles. And some of, some of them do have a slightly different emphasis in terms of leadership. But it's clear here that Luke, who is the guy who writes this book of the Bible, um, he interchanges these words. Okay, so he uses elders, overseers, and bishops. And so for this morning, we're just going to call them leaders to save any confusion. So when you see these words, we're talking about leaders of the church. And so Paul's in Miletus, and he's speaking to the leaders of the Ephesian church. And did you notice um, just how these guys had become leaders? Um, it says there in verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit had made them leaders. These verses don't say that the membership elected the leaders, and they don't say that the existing leaders selected the new leaders. They weren't promoted into the role, and indeed it wasn't someone putting themselves forward because they thought they'd be good at the job. No, it's God through the work of the Holy Spirit which prepares some men and makes them into leaders. So what is our role as existing leaders, Steve, John, myself, and indeed the rest of the members of the church in finding new leaders um, if it's actually the Holy Spirit who makes them? Well, it works like this, as best as I can understand. Um, the Holy Spirit places some people, or several people, within a group of Christians, and he gives them the responsibility of caring for and overseeing. That's why that word's used, overseeing the group. The church is then supposed to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit to recognize that individual as a leader. And so our role as a church is to recognize, the key words recognize, the leaders that the Holy Spirit is preparing and it might often be, and it's usually the existing leaders who will recognize the future leaders first, but not always the case. Um, and I remember when I was a kid at summer's camp, um, we used to play a game called Hunt the Leader. Um, and the leaders would dress up in disguise, and they would wander around um, town, and the children would have to come out and run around hunting for them. Um, and so the leaders would dress up as, say, um, like a shopkeeper, and they would actually work in a shop or they would go uh, and be a painter and they'd be painting somebody's garden's gate. Um, and I even remember one leader dressing up, um, was a, well, curled up on a park bench with a brown paper bag. I'm not quite sure how appropriate that was, but they were sort of down and out drunk. Um, but even when we were really close up as kids and we were running around town looking for these leaders, we sometimes find it really hard to recognize the leaders through the disguises. And in our game, we had to ask um, the adult we suspected uh, a question. We had to say to them, does your granny come from Auchenshugel? <laughs> okay, Auchenshugel is a fictional place in Scotland. Okay, and it was like a secret phrase we had to use. And it was often very embarrassing. I do remember times when um, it turned out that the adult actually wasn't one of our leaders. And they were wondering what on earth we were talking about. Um, but the difference between that camp game of Hunt the Leader and our life in church is that it should not be so difficult to recognize our leaders, both existing and future. 
within our church. Some of the features of the leaders are described here, and we'll go through those as, as we dig into the text. And some are found more specifically in other areas of the Bible, so in Titus and in Timothy. And we'll be looking at those. We'll look at some last week, we'll look at some over the next few weeks as well. Um, but they shouldn't be hard to recognize. And so if we as a church are looking at the next stage of inviting a potential leader among us, he should be recognizable to us as a leader. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this teaching series. If we know what a leader should look like, hopefully we'll be able to recognize the ones which the Holy Spirit has made for us. It should be a huge source of encouragement that God has prepared um, and made specific leaders for us. And he'll continue to do that in the future. So let's remember that we are not selecting a new leader. God does that part. We just need to recognize the ones that the Holy Spirit's already made. Just as a slight aside, um, I think it's important um, that we notice that the church in Ephesus had a team of elders. Um, Paul sent for elders, plural, and it's no way um, was um, the church in Ephesus like a one-man show. It wasn't a pyramid with one man at the top. Um, The leaders in Ephesus were a team, and they worked as a team, and they led as a team, and they oversaw the church as a team. Um, and this is certainly not the key point of these verses, but I think it's important to know that. Um, Steve is not the leader of this church. And it's not helpful for you to believe that, and it's certainly not helpful for Steve if we act like that. Steve, John, and I um, are very aware of our weaknesses, um, which is part of the reason that we believe in the need for another full-time elder. But we're, and we're very uh, different individuals, and we don't always agree on everything. But it's very important that you guys know that we are united. John, Steve, and I actually love each other. And we want to build our friendship, our unity, and our accountability with each other. And our prayer is that with God's grace and a healthy leadership, we'll lead to a healthy church. And I would ask that you guys pray. That's one thing you could do from this morning. Pray specifically that that we would do just that as leaders. And whether that's just the three of us, or more in the future, pray specifically for us, for our relationship, for our unity, for our friendship, for our accountability. So before we get into the key verses, and just to finish setting this scene, okay, um, have a read through verse, just a quick glance at verses 25, and then verses 36 to 38. Um, You'll see this... Yeah... um, at the end of this time together, so they've met together in the middle of this, okay, and just at the end of that, just notice that they were all wept and they embraced and they kissed and they prayed. The leaders were grieved, they were sad, they were upset. Um, most of all because said, uh, Paul had said he's never going to see them again. And this puts the rest of what we're going to look at into a bit of context. Okay, this is the last time that Paul is going to speak directly to these leaders. Uh, Paul's not going to be there to help them in the future. He's not going to be dropping in from time to time. And he won't be at the end of a phone or sending text messages. Uh, There's no Facebook or Twitter uh, to keep in touch. And these leaders are going to have to step up to the plate. And this section of the Bible that we're reading today is all about how these leaders are going to manage. Um, And Paul sets out to show them the example from his life and tells them very clearly what their priorities should be as leaders. Um, So just um, now this kind of scene set... um, we're just going to look at some key verses. And in verse um, 27, sorry, 28, Paul says something um, to the leaders. He says, um, 
Keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And in verse 31, Paul repeats the need for the leaders to be on their guard. Be on your guard, he says to them. Paul is saying that a key attribute, okay, a key feature of a shepherd leader is to keep watch. It means to be vigilant and to be on the lookout. In historic times, you've seen this in films, um, you'd have someone like tower watchmen and these men would stand as lookouts on the towers of the city walls and would keep watch for enemies approaching the city. And they would raise the alarm in the event of attack and if they failed their duty, if they fell asleep during the night, um, and fell asleep in the job, then the whole city would obviously be in great danger. Um, and it's similar to the lookout that sits in a crow's nest of a boat. So the Titanic, the guys who were watching, I think they actually did see the iceberg. They're just maybe a little bit late. But um, they're keeping watch. They're looking out for the danger. So what is it that Paul's asking these leaders to actually keep watch over? What are they on the lookout for? Um, and the picture that Paul's painting here is really quite stark. Um, verse 29, it says, A savage wolves will come in amongst you and will not spare the flock. These will, wolves are going to will kill us and our lives are very much at risk here. This is pretty serious stuff. And um, verse 30, it says, um, Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Now, if you distort something, you twist or you bend it. And you basically alter it into something different. I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So much so that the object can become unrecognizable. Although I think you can probably recognize who these people are. I don't think it's right. just got out, so that's okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, but distorting the truth, it's like twisting or altering the gospel. And here, Paul's comparing the twisting... Are you going to describe it? Yes. Yes. I quite like <laughs> Well, there's another one. Let's go back that one. Okay. Um, but Paul here, he's comparing the gospel, yes, um, the twisting of the gospel to like a wolf tearing a whole flock of sheep to death. Um, and if that's not worrying enough, Paul is warning us not just of wolves from outside the church, but actually of wolves attacking and coming up from inside the church. So, um, I hope that if you've been meeting with us here for a while, um, you'll know that as a Christian, um, there will be people in your life who are going to oppose you specifically because you belong to Jesus. There are people who hate God, who hate the church and all that it stands for. And as we see this more and more, we see it in the media more and more, don't we? Um, but Paul is warning us here that there will be rules that rise up within our own church. And we've all heard of the phrase, um, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And what Paul's saying is it may even be our leaders who are the wolves. And they may not be that easy to recognize. Now sometimes, um, it's not those who are blatantly wrong. Um, but it might be those who just slightly twist the truth. Maybe they use the same words, but they have a slightly different meaning, and it can lead us astray. Sometimes they're making genuine mistakes as Christians, and other times... It's people who actually are genuinely not saved at all. But it's happened throughout history and it will continue to happen. We can be sure of that. And Paul is giving us like a really, uh, very real warning here. So you'll have heard them. Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And every witness swears to do that exactly. 
uh, when they go into court. And we're sworn to tell the truth because lying removes any chance of justice. But a partial truth um, is also just as false as a, like, an outright lie. Um, so if someone said, did you see the bank employee pay £5,000 in our briefcase? Yes, I saw her do it. Now, that statement's true, but it's only a partial truth because the witness who said that also knew that the bank employee had been instructed to put that £5,000 in her briefcase to transport it somewhere else. So any truth that is less than the whole truth has the same effect as a lie, because you all just assume when you say that that somebody's robbing that £5,000. But in the same way that when the whole truth is spoken, um, when the whole truth is spoken, but more than the truth is added to it, if that makes sense, then it has the same effect as, as a lie. So the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truths means that we are, um, there's no attempt to mislead, no attempt to falsify, there's nothing said and nothing not said that will be deceptive uh, and deceive anyone in any way. In other words, the witness is totally transparent. And this leads to like, the main focus of what we're going to look at today. How are, to, how are we to protect against dangerous rules? Um, we've already seen God has provided shepherd leaders for us. That's what he said to the elders. And Paul sets out uh, quite clearly what the role of the shepherd leaders is. Shepherd leader is. Um, so firstly, we're going to look at um, the shepherd is to live the message. And secondly, um, the shepherd is to preach the whole message. And the shepherd guides and the shepherd feeds. Okay? So first of all, the shepherd guides, living by the message. The shepherd lives by the message and he guides the flock. I'm not sure um, if you've noticed when reading these verses, but there's a very direct type of conversation going on here between Paul and these leaders. Um, look at the number of times. I've just plotted them all up there in colour, okay? If you're colourblind, sorry, they're stuffed. Um, but look at the number of times Paul says, I, me, mine, you. Yeah? Um, using that type of language, um, Paul sets himself up as an example for the leaders to follow. And I've highlighted a couple of phrases um, that are in red there. The text quite small, so that's why you need your Bibles. Um, but um, there's a couple of phrases which I think will help us see that Paul guided the flock as a shepherd. He says, I lived, I came, I served, I showed. Very personal phrases, aren't they? And it leads us to focus very much on the character of Paul and shows us how he lived in the Gospel. Um, and he, well, he set an example as a shepherd of the flock. And I think um, three C's uh, sum it up quite well. The shepherd has to be caring, and to be compassionate and committed to the flock. The very fact that Paul uses the image of a shepherd, like it immediately brings up like a picture of a caring and compassionate leader, doesn't it? And there is a reason that the Bible uses the analogy, the picture of a shepherd and a flock, to compare leaders in a congregation rather than, for example, um, a fisherman and a school of fish. It doesn't mean the same, does it? A fisherman and his fish, a shepherd and a flock of sheep. brings an, an immediate picture into our minds. Um, and this sense of gentleness and care towards the flock of sheep, which are vulnerable and are prone to wander, aren't they? In verse 18, we see that from the first day that Paul had arrived in Ephesus, had arrived in Ephesus, he'd lived among the Christian believers, and he'd stayed with them the whole time he was there. Now, I know this might be obvious, but living with them means he shared his life with them. And a leader needs to be amongst the people. 
just as a shepherd is with his flock. In verse 31 reinforces this, uh, reinforces that thought. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning, never stopped warning you, um, each one of you, day and night. This was not a part-time job for Paul. He's not a distant leader who sends his troops out over the trenches to attack the enemy while he sits back in the comfort of the the back lines. No, the shepherd is with the flock. He's in the middle of the flock, protecting them from the wolves. And verse 19 again shows Paul's compassion and his commitment. There's too many scenes. He served, what it says there in verse 19, that Paul served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of, his, uh, of my Jewish opponents. Paul was facing serious trouble and Jewish leaders were continually plotting against him and these were very personal attacks um, and yet Paul served with great humility, it tells us. In verse, um, verse 22 and 23, they kind of repeat that sentence again. It says, I'm now compelled by the Spirit and going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. This guy nuts. The only thing that he can be sure about is that he faces hardship in prison. It's a bit of a challenge to us. We often worry that we don't know what the future holds, don't we? We pray that God would reveal his plan to us for you know for our lives. But here Paul the great apostle tells us that he doesn't know what God's got in store for him except for hardship in prison. Yet despite the promise of hardship, Paul goes on and he says in verse 24 to say that he considers his life as worth nothing. His only aim, he uses this phrase, um, to finish the race, to complete the task which the Lord has, has given him. And that is commitment, isn't it? He's determined and clearly uh, did not shrink from that task. Because in verse 35, it says, um, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. So Paul gives us this example of living the gospel to guide the flock, um, which is like about his character as a leader. He walked the walk, didn't he? And the leaders are going to face personal attacks, and that could be a very lonely place. And again, I'd urge you all to commit to praying for John, Steve and myself, that we would continue to serve the Lord in the middle of those attacks. Pray that we would become committed leaders, that we would be compassionate and that we would be caring and that we would be marked with humility and wouldn't just talk the talk but would actually walk the walk as Paul did. Secondly, just then, the shepherd feeds um, the flock, which is basically preaching the whole message. Um, We've seen that the warning Paul is giving is to watch out for those who will distort the truth, twist the gospel. But hopefully, we're about to see this passage we're reading here, it's like littered with how to guard against this happening, or at least to prepare ourselves for when it does happen. Um, When we talk about feeding the flock, we're talking about feeding God's word to the flock. And I've highlighted um, on the screen there, Um, a number of words which Paul uses for feeding the flock. He says, preach, taught, declared, testifying, proclaiming, warning, commit. Okay, and he says some of them several times. Um, The key verse, in verse 27, um, just in the middle there, 
He said, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. Now some older versions, or other versions of the Bible, use a slightly different phrase. They say the whole counsel of God. And what Paul is basically saying is that he didn't hesitate in making known the whole message of the Bible. Now some people believe that um, to proclaim the whole will of God literally means um, the detailed teaching, verse by verse, from Genesis through to Revelation, beginning to the end of the Bible. And that would be very worthwhile, um, but it's not really what Paul's saying here. Um, Paul is saying that for a shepherd to feed the flock, for a leader to feed the, um, the church, the teaching must be thorough, and it must be balanced, and it must not leave out things that are really important, and it must not, they must not duck the difficult bits. In fact, within these few verses, Paul gives us um, some good pointers as to what makes what is a balanced gospel. He gives us some clues within what he's actually saying. Um, in verses 24 and 25, Paul preached the gospel of grace and kingdom. In verse 21, he declared the need for both repentance and faith. Now remember, to counter the rules, we want to twist the truth. The leaders must proclaim the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, too often churches um, teach gospel promises, but they rarely say anything about the need to repent. They teach about faith, but they avoid saying anything about guilt. They teach about grace, but they try not to be too specific about sin, and they skip over sensitive subjects like sex and money for the fear of offending or marginalising. They don't talk about judgment, because generally people will not listen to those who sound judgmental. They say very little about eternity because people don't want to think about that just now. And they don't mention the exclusive nature of the gospel because of the social pressure for tolerance. Now I find verse 20 quite interesting. It says, um, Paul did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful. Um, I'm not sure most, of, well, I'm sure most of us would have, would have nod and agree to that and say that a yeah, leader should preach things that are helpful to us. But that's where the kind of dilemma is here, because yes, preaching, teaching should be helpful, but who decides what's helpful? If I don't like what I hear, my sinful heart will tell me it was unhelpful, rather than repent. I, re- I rebel, and I blame the messenger for the poor message, an unhelpful message, don't I? We need to keep reminding ourselves that we do not naturally desire what we really need. And so helpful preaching must not be translated into what we want to hear preaching. It's a real burden on leaders to have to tell people what they don't want to hear. It's very tempting for leaders to want to be liked and to say what people want to hear rather than what the Bible has to say. And the problem is not usually what it, the problem's not usually what is actually said, what's preached, what's taught, but rather the bits that are missing. It's what's not that's often the problem. We miss bits out. We leave the hard bits that's out. So the shepherd, um, to feed the flock and give lasting nourishment, must teach the full counsel of God, the full will of God. However, before we go uh, and give license to um, old-fashioned hell and damnation preaching, let's just remind ourselves of Paul's attitude in his preaching. Um, He did so with humility in verse 19. He did so with a servant attitude in verse 24 and with compassion, with hard work. 
And so while the complete message of the Bible needs to be preached, no matter how uncomfortable that might be for the leader or for the flock, there needs to be a sensitivity and a compassion in doing that. And we can also see that Paul was um, thorough in the way he preached. He wanted to teach everything to everybody. He was concerned to reach the whole population of Ephesus. He says in um, verse 21 about preaching to both Jews and Gentiles, the residents and the visitors. He taught both publicly, he says in verse 20, both publicly and privately. Privately, um, So in the synagogue, in the lecture hall, from home to home. And he taught night and day, it says in verse 21. Um, so he basically taught the whole truth of the gospel to the whole city with his whole strength. And by doing so, Paul was able to make um, a bold and slightly strange declaration in verse 26. If you see, look down verse 26, Paul says, um, that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Um, now Paul's not talking here about some past crime he committed. It's not a murder that he created, uh, committed in the past. But he's simply saying that the gospel changes lives. The gospel is a matter of life and death. Because our eternal destiny is determined by how we respond to it. We know that it is only God who saves. And it is only God who will keep us saved. But the Bible teaches that we have a part to play. And that God will hold us responsible if we don't fulfill our responsibility. The language Paul's using here, it comes from um, an Old Testament book. Um, Ezekiel, I think. Yeah, Ezekiel chapter 3. And then verse 17 and it says this, I'll just read it out. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out, of dissuade, uh, out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die from their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or their evil ways, they will die for their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Paul is confident that he has warned all the Ephesian leaders, and that he's spoken out, he's declared the gospel of truth to them. He's fulfilled his responsibility, and therefore the eternal destiny of the flock is, is not in his hands. He's innocent of their blood. He's done his job. Just finally, so we've seen that um, shepherd leaders need to guide the flock by their example and they need to lead the flock um, feed the flock um, by preaching the full message of the Bible Um, but I want us to just finish this morning by having a quick look um, at how precious sheep are to the ultimate shepherd if you want to just think about sheep for a little minute um, not sheep lambs but sheep Okay, proper sheep. These pictures there. Um, they are dirty, um, and they have lots of unpleasant pests on their bodies, and they regularly need to be dipped in strong chemicals to get rid of uh, lice and ticks and worms and the like. Um, and they are a bit thick, but stupid, obstinate, and they are prone to wandering away. And if we're honest, you can see where this is going. Okay, if we're honest, hopefully we can see similarities to ourselves because the Bible makes similarities to ourselves, okay, so we can be confident that if you can't see it, the Bible says it, okay. Um, but we are dirty, we're fallen, and we're stubborn. And yet the church, in spite of our sins and our failings and our faults, belongs to the Father. Did you notice um, 
in verse uh, 28, um, Paul tells the leaders, when he says, be shepherds, be shepherds of the church of God. The church belongs to God and does not belong to the human, le- the, the human leaders. And if we read on, it gets even more amazing because God has bought us with his own blood. God has paid the price of his own blood to buy us. The sheep here today in this church have tremendous value in God's sight. And that's why God, through his Holy Spirit, makes leaders to look after, to keep watch. The leaders are called to look after what is precious to God the Father. In the Gospel of John, Jesus asked Peter, he asked him three times in a row, do you love me, Peter? And Peter responds to him and says, of course I love you, Lord. And each time Peter says that, Jesus instructs Peter to feed my lambs, to take care of my sheep. Peter wasn't told to go out and get a new flock of his own, but to care and feed for the sheep which belong to Jesus. The Bible refers to Jesus as the good shepherd, um, but also refers to him as the chief shepherd. As leaders, our response to loving Jesus is to care uh, and feed the sheep. Now, leaders um, fail spiritually, emotionally, and morally. Um, And your leaders fail (laughs) in those ways. Um, but God's people will never be left shepherdless, which is huge encouragement. Um, so are you um, one of God's sheep this morning? Are you in the flock? Are you under his care? Do you know that Jesus has paid for your life with his blood? All of us need to know that we're under the care of Jesus. And if we don't, then the rest is pretty meaningless. If you are in the flock, then are you willing to be shepherded? The shepherd is by no means perfect, but God has made them leaders. In our church, God, in his wisdom, has made, well, certainly our wisdom, um, has made John, Steve, and myself the leaders. And we're far from perfect, but God has chosen us. And so are you ready ready to be led by three imperfect shepherds? And... Paul makes it very clear that our role is to, our role is to guide and to feed you. And we are to warn you and we are to keep watch over you. And I can guarantee you that if we are to preach the whole will of God as we are instructed to, then we are going to tell you truths which you will not want to hear from us. And so how are you going to respond to hearing that message of God? I want to close this morning just by... Um, Reading a section of the Old Testament, it's from Ezekiel again, again it's Ezekiel um, 34, um, and it's there, it, well, it should act as a warning to the shepherd leaders, to your leaders, and it should also act as a huge encouragement to us all, though, um, that God is the ultimate shepherd of his flock. So just listen to this and then we'll finish. The word of the Lord came to me, so that's to Ezekiel, okay, he said, Son of man, speak against the shepherds of Israel for me. Speak to them for me. Tell them that this is what the Lord God says. You shepherds of Israel have only been feeding yourselves. It will be very bad for you. Why don't you shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat sheep and use their wool to to make clothes for yourself. You kill the fat sheep, but you do not feed the the flock. You have not made the weak strong. You have not cared for the sick sheep. You have not put bandages on the sheep that were hurt. Some of the sheep wandered away and you did not go and get them and bring them back. You did not go to look for the lost sheep. 
They were cruel and severe. That is the way you tried to lead the sheep. And now the sheep are scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for every wild animal. So they were scattered. My my flock wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the face of the earth. There was no one to search or to look for them. So you shepherds, listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord God says, I swear that wild animals will catch my sheep and my people will be food for all those animals because they have not had any real shepherds. My shepherds will not look out for the flock. They did not feed my flock. No, they only killed the sheep and fed themselves. So you shepherds, listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord God says, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep from them. I will fire them. They will not be my shepherds anymore. Then the shepherds will not be able to feed themselves, and I will save my flock from their mouths. Then my sheep will not be food for them. The Lord God says, I myself will be their shepherd. I will search for my sheep and will take care of them. If a shepherd is with his sheep when they begin to wander away, he will go searching for them. In the same way I will search for my sheep, I will save them and bring them back from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back from those nations. I will gather them from those countries and bring them back to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the places where people live. I will lead them to grassy fields. They will go to the place high on the mountains of Israel and lie down on good ground and good grass. They will eat the rich grassland on the mountains of Israel. Yes, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to a place of rest. This is what the Lord God said. Amen.